Welcome to another Kundalini Conversation. My guest today is Dr. Yvonne Kaysan. Yvonne, welcome. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me on the show, Brent. Oh, it's my pleasure. We're going to get into some really exciting things. So I'll give you a brief uh, introduction. I'll, I'll give our audience a brief introduction. Uh, I was connected with Yvonne through somebody uh, in our network, our mutual network. And to my surprise, you're local, you're nearby in Toronto. And somehow, despite all of your accomplishments that we're going to get into, I hadn't come across you or your work. But what I did come across was the uh, the term that you're the originator of, which is, of course, SDE, spiritually transformative experience. Now, it seems to be, you know, sometimes this is just what happens. We, uh, we're only brought to the right people, the right books, the right ideas when the time is right. You know, they can be right down the street from you. They could be your neighbor. But, you know, when uh, the path, uh, you're, you're meant to cross paths, this is when it happens and it won't happen until then. And so that seems to be what happened in our case. But nonetheless, I'm happy that we're here chatting and connecting and we're really going to go deep uh, Yvonne is a very accomplished, courageous person traveling on a spiritual path as a medical doctor, as somebody that's experienced five near-death experiences, all very mystical, spiritually charged, transformative. I've got a whole list that I'm actually going to go through here of, uh, accomplishments and things, uh, multiple SDs, of course, spiritually transformative experiences including a profound kundalini awakening that seems to have shaped uh, your entire life. Yes. Uh, it connected you with Gopi Krishna. Of course, mm -hmm. Gopi Krishna is one of the uh, most well-known authors and researchers and uh, people that's been, been sh that has shared a lot about kundalini in the modern times. As well, uh, Yvonne is a retired transpersonal MD psychotherapist counseled many people going through spiritually transformative experiences so today together we're going to dive into a little bit of of that work that you've done maybe you've got some some wisdom to share to the next uh wave of, of professionals supporting those going through spiritual awakening of course uh you're the author of six books uh i i've i finished reading two in pre preparation for our interview so the first one that i read was soul lessons from the light uh, this is the autobiographical telling of your, your spiritual journey, really going deep into the, uh, the qualities and the transformative effects of SDEs that you've had, as well as the different distinctions between the NDEs that you've had, um, which laid the foundation for the work that you've done, um, for NDEs in general, I think, uh, way back, there wasn't much, much of anything out there. And you've really, uh, broke a lot of ground on those fronts. As well, uh, you've served on the faculty at University of Toronto, which is, uh, it's great. Uh, just knowing that there's credible people out there talking about this crazy idea of spiritual awakening and Kundalini awakening and NDEs, that alone to me is just, it's a huge relief, you know, uh, credible people. It's very validating. As well, Yvonne has been the founder of the Kundalini Research Network, Spirituality and Healthcare Network. Emerging the the medical field, the licensed professionals with the uh, the spiritual field, uh, I, I guess you've inspired a lot of people to come forth and and acknowledge the validity of spirituality um, in a field that uh, you know requires a lot of courage to come forth. You know, in the medical field, as well, uh, you're the uh, president of Spiritual Awakenings International, which is an organization uh, dedicated to sharing and exploring spiritual awakenings. 
which of course this podcast is a spiritual awakening show. And so of course you're a perfect guest today. And finally, I, I just want to thank you for your courage um, to come forth and openly talk about these things to uh, blaze a trail, especially in, in the field of, of the West, you know, Western medicine, Western psychology, Western academia. Thank you for this. I think a lot of people out there um, may not even be aware that they've benefited in some way from the ground that you've broken uh, here in the West. So thank you. Thank you so much. So um, we don't have all the time in the world today, so we're going to get right into it. Uh, before we begin, I want to invite um, those that are really interested in going deep into your your journey to check out Soul Lessons from the Light. Uh, just got your full autobiography here. But uh, why don't we begin, jump ahead a little bit to your Kundalini Awakening experience. Why don't you tell us about that? I believe it happened about in your 20s. That is correct. It happened when I was 23. I want to thank you for your incredible introduction, Brent. And um, yes, it's been a, a, both a pleasure and a challenge <laughs> being a groundbreaker in the field of spiritual awakenings and spiritually transformative experiences. But how I got into it, as I share in um, my, my book, Soul Lessons from the Light, and then, of course, my other book, Touched by the Light, that you mentioned earlier, is where I go into greater detail and I share like 100 people's case examples of different types of uh, aspects of spiritual awakenings. Um, but my own journey, um, you know, I am uh, born and raised in Toronto, Canada, and um, I went into medicine as a specialty, not thinking I was going to do anything untraditional, but it seems now when I look back that spirit had another plan <laughs> that I didn't know about. And part and a big part of it was that when I was 23 and I was in my last year in medical school, um, I started meditating, not to have a spiritual experience, but because the course was advertised for helping you get better marks on your exams and you'll study better. You'll be more relaxed, blah, blah, blah. So yeah, I took this meditation course. I was at McMaster university in Hamilton. I took this meditation course and I um, loved meditating. It was like a, a duck being introduced to water. I now realize that's past life memory that I was not aware of, but I just absolutely loved meditating, started meditating regularly, a more, an hour in the morning, hour in the evening. And um, it did help me study. I did do extremely well in my exams. But about three months after I was started this really regular meditation practice, I had, as you said, what I now know was a kundalini awakening. But it took me years to even figure out what it was and to put a name to it. So what happened basically was I was, it was a group meditation. I was sitting in a, like an auditorium and somebody was leading the meditation and I had been taught this meditation technique. I didn't know about different techniques and what their effects were, but I'd been taught this meditation technique to, to visualize light rising up your spine and going up to your crown, to your head and to visualize a lotus at the top of your head which was, I later found out one of the visualizations Gopi Krishna used to do. <laughs> anyway, so I'm, I'm doing, innocently doing this technique. And all of a sudden, I hear this loud inner roaring noise, like the roar of a waterfall, you know, 
I don't know if people can uh, hear that sound through Zoom, but it was like the loud roar of a waterfall. So it was really loud and it was an inner noise. And at the same time that I was hearing this loud inner sound, I started feeling this really powerful energy rise up my body and rise up my spine. And then when it got to my crown, to the top of my body and spine, it was like my consciousness expanded and what I think of as me was no longer like the size of my head or the size of my body. I'd now sort of expanded and I felt like I was the size of this large auditorium that I was in and, and I was sort of higher. I mean, I, I now would call it an out of body and expansive experience, but back then I had no words for it. I was expanded. I was up higher. And then I, it was like, I, transformed into a force field of love and I started feeling this really beautiful experience of love it was like I had become love itself and I didn't know any better I was just 23 year old what did I know I thought this is what all the experienced meditators were having each time they meditated. And this was like the it experience that you're supposed to have if you did your technique right. And I was actually embarrassed afterwards that it that I didn't want to tell people because I was embarrassed that, you know, here I was as a student and it took me three months to get my meditation technique right. And um, so anyway, I stayed in this expansive state of love, which I now realize was a type of mystical experience. So I ha had a kundalini awakening, which culminated in a mystical experience. And I stayed in that beautiful, expansive state of love until my meditation ended, which was maybe an hour or an hour and a half later. And then my consciousness contracted back down to you know, normal. <laughs> and um, afterwards, I tried to have this experience again, when I would meditate the next time, but much to my disappointment, <laughs> I wasn't able to make it happen when I meditated on um, my subsequent meditations. And um, so reluctantly sort of tail between my legs and a bit embarrassed I went to one of the meditation lead group leaders a few weeks later and said you know I must be doing something wrong with my meditation technique can you tell me what I'm doing wrong because I'm not able to have that experience that you're supposed to have and they go what experience <laughs> so I told them about what had happened what I now know is a kundalini awakening and I remember the two that I was talking to their jaws dropped <laughs> they looked at me what that happened to you and I went, well yeah and and they sort of looked at each other and shook their heads and they didn't know what to say and they said and that was my first clue that this wasn't happening to everybody every time they meditated that it was something a little bit unusual and then one of them you know sort of talking to each other they said well you know the only thing I've ever heard of that even sounds a little bit like that is a kundalini awakening, but you couldn't possibly have had a kundalini awakening because you're far too young. You haven't been meditating long enough. You can only have the kundalini awakening in the presence of an enlightened guru. And, and so, I mean, I didn't know any better. So I thought, okay, well, it's not a kundalini awakening. Uh, what the heck was it? <laughs> so anyway, I was 
So I was in my last year of medical school and I had a lot of exams to study for. Um, and so I, I sort of put this out of my mind in terms of trying to figure out what it was. It was like something that happened to me. Um, I now know it was a Kundalini awakening indeed. And they were wrong in what they said because um, in my research of Kundalini awakening and speaking to many experiencers over the last, you know, more than 30 years, that um, many people are having spontaneous Kundalini awakenings. Many people it's happening in their 20s, <laughs> although it can happen in their 20s or their 30s or their 40s or even their 50s. And it does not have to be in the presence of a, a God-realized guru. And I remember at one point in my life, somebody really challenged me. They were from a very traditional yogic tradition. Well, this is impossible. You know, it can't possibly be a kundalini awakening because our teaching is very specific that the very first kundalini awakening can only happen with the blessing and grace of a God-realized guru. And immediately it just flashed in my consciousness. Yeah, who says this was the first time? <laughs> because... I know, as many people realize in their spiritual awakening process, that reincarnation is real. And in some of my experiences, as I share in my book, particularly my last near-death experience, I re-remembered all of my past lives. And I've had a kundalini awakening in many incarnations. This was far from my first incarnation. And so I think this may be true for other people, too, who are having spontaneous kundalini awakenings, that that this is not their first lifetime having a kundalini awakening. And that's why it's happening spontaneously or even at a, a quite an early age in your 20s. Um, and some people, it's happening in childhood. So uh, that's because we pick up from where we are on our spiritual evolution journey from our previous lifetimes. Right. Well said. Well said. So this idea of the spontaneous awakenings, spontaneous kundalini awakenings, just like you, a lot of people maybe uh, you know might approach me saying, I wasn't into spirituality, wasn't into any of this. I was just trying to do a meditation to maybe go to sleep. And I had this spontaneous awakening out of nowhere. And I always think, you know, it doesn't really happen out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. Our past, including our previous lifetimes, uh, definitely have an influence on what's going on in this lifetime. And that at least seems to resonate with many people. They kind of say, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Because often there's like a lot of confusion. Why me? Especially if they're going through a difficult Kundalini awakening, there's a lot of why me? I didn't want anything to do with this. I haven't been prepared. But I found that if we're able to zoom out and get a sense, maybe in your case, some people can even remember their past lives specifically. I think we can find a bit of confidence knowing that, okay, I've been prepared. I've got some deep ingrained intuitive wisdom that I've you know accumulated over many lifetimes. And that can build a bit of confidence because I find that uh, you know there's a lot of fear, confusion, uh, lack of clarity. And it's you know it sounds I mean it's another far-fetched idea. Kundalini awakening itself is far-fetched. And then you know now we're also saying, you know, well you can rely on your past life uh <laughs> wisdom to uh to handle it. It's it's a lot to take in, but I think people out there will will tune in and understand uh, on an intuitive way what we're saying here. You know, past life, totally real, totally valid. 
uh, this stuff is so profound. I don't think it could be done in just one lifetime anyway. Well, no, it can't be. It can't be. It can't be. And, you know, the thing is, part of the problem is in our Western culture. I mean, you and I are both in Canada, but let's say Western culture in general. Um, this concept of Kundalini awakening or spiritual energy awakening, which is a more generic sort of term that I use, it's not really a part of our mainstream vocabulary. It is so wonderful that people like you, Brent, are really bringing this out so that word's getting highlighted. Because when I first wrote about it, my first book where I talked about Kundalini Awakening uh, was in the 90s, came out in 94, of Farther Shore. And like, nobody had heard of Kundalini Awakening. And I remember one of my editors says, well, can't you take that word out? And just because people might be turned off by that word. And I went, no, this is really important. This word has to go out. I want to mention here something because I think it's important and Spirit's prompting me to mention it is relating to what you just said on tr trusting that this is a spiritual process and there, there's a higher wisdom, a higher guidance, a higher plan that is invisibly, like invisible little fingers orchestrating this process and what you need to know somehow or rather gets brought to you just like you and I brought to each other whenever the time was right suddenly oh gosh we're neighbors <laughs> I guess the time was right now for us to connect so here's me I was 23 years old I was in my last year in medical school I'd had this profound experience I had no clue what it was um, I, I was having a whole bunch of after effects. Um, we can go into after effects more, but basically I'll just say right now, um, I was having recurrent rushes of energy up my spine and they weren't random. There was like a wisdom to them. Like if somebody said something that was true and that I should pay attention to, I get this rush of the Kundalini energy up my spine. If I was thinking about something and it was true and important, I'd get this rush of energy up my spine. Um, so Anyway, the, so I was starting and they were physical, like my body would move with these energy. It's not like just I imagined an energy. It was a real physical sensation. I would feel these rushes of energy going up my spine. It was a very marked after effect. I had no idea what it was. But this one evening, again, I was about 23, maybe I had just turned 24. Um, I went to see this um, um, video with my meditation group because they were trying to organize a trip to India to go visit Gopi Krishna, who, of course, had written about Kundalini. Now, I was finishing medical school and I was about to start my internship and it was like forbidden, forbidden. You couldn't take any holidays the beginning of your internship. And um, so I was not going to go on this trip to India because I was, you know, wanted to follow the rules and do my internship. Anyway, I went to see the video anyway. Someone had taken one of those little um, home videos of um, Gopi Krishna talking a little bit about Kundalini and was showing it to people to get them to come to this trip to visit him and hear him talk about Kundalini. Anyway, so I'm sitting in this room watching this video. Soon as Gopi Krishna's face came on the screen it was like my eyes were glued magnetized frozen I, I couldn't move and the energy started pounding up my spine like pound pound and I was physically moving like this pulsing 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 so my eyes are glued at, at him and pulsing 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 of this energy up my spine now 
I didn't know what it was or have words to describe it, but somehow I knew that this was the higher powers way of telling me that I must go to India and I must meet Gopi Krishna. And so after, I don't know how long, and like I was physically moving in my chair, that is how strong those energy pulses were. And I could not avert my gaze from his eyes. Like my, it was like I was glued. And so finally, inwardly, at one point, I said, okay, Lord, I'll go to India. I'll meet Gopi Krishna. And then it was like I was released from the grip of whatever this was. But, you know, I'd sort of made a commitment to God. So I, needed to, I needed to follow it. Um, again, at the time, I had no idea that what I was experiencing was Kundalini. Not a clue. Um, so anyway, and then, of course, when something's meant to be, spirit somehow magically opens the doors right so i went to my supervisor when i was starting my internship and i said you know i'm i'm apologetic to even ask but i have this opportunity to go to india and it's really really important to me um and i know i'm not supposed to go on holidays but may i have permission to have two weeks off anyway so i got a stern lecture on why i should not go and you know blah 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 but yes you can go I was given permission and I just have to thank God and my guardian angels for that, that, that I was given permission to go. And so then I went on this trip to India and this is when I met Gopi Krishna. So this is now maybe uh, six or seven months after I had my Kundalini awakening. And so, uh, and because I was the only doctor in the crew, in the group of people that went to meet him, I was given solo audience appointments with him. You know, what did I know? I was a young doctor. I was like 24 years old. I didn't know anything about anything really. But he, I had, you know, I got to know him and he spent time with me. And um, Gopi Krishna, for people in your audience who may not know him or be familiar with his work, he's passed away now. He passed away in the 80s. Um, but he was an Indian man who had a profound, spontaneous kundalini awakening related to his own very intense meditation practice. But it, he, it put him into what we would now call a spiritual emergency. That vocabulary didn't exist back then. And he was in, spirit, in and out of spiritual emergency for almost 10 years until his kundalini process stabilized. And um, uh, if you read his works, he's written 17 books on Kundalini Awakening, and he, he's written two autobiographies, so you can hear all about his um, struggles. But um, when it stabilized, he entered this ongoing, expansive state of mystical consciousness, of unitive consciousness, which is the long-term goal that we all hope for perhaps over many lifetimes um to reach this ongoing state of unitive consciousness or higher consciousness he used the term higher consciousness and he had profound um, inspired creativity and he channeled books and languages that he didn't even know and he had profound gifts and abilities in this expansive state of consciousness but he was not a guru okay so he did not take disciples he did not take students his calling from spirit was to raise awareness of kundalini awakening in the West and around the world 
because his insight through spirit was that it's part of the evolutionary stage that we as a human species are on, that our next step in our evolutionary growth is an expansion of our range of consciousness. And the mechanism that can accelerate, uh, that will can activate and he felt would be activating in more and more people because that's the stage where we are in our consciousness evolution is that this mechanism that was known in the sacred texts of India, the ancient sacred texts, this kundalini would be awakening in more and more people. And he thought it was really important to get this information out. He thought it really important that it be researched. And he uh, made a whole bunch of suggestions on areas to research it. And I, of course, um, paid very close attention to that. But he also said something that I want to share with you here, which I think is very, very important. Because he said, basically, the highest form and the best form of kundalini research, he would say, in the crucible of your own consciousness. That that is really how you're going to learn and understand what Kundalini is all about. And I compare this for people who are not experiencers to the experience of falling in love. That falling, you can write books about falling in love. You can read about people falling in love, but you don't really get what it is until you've had the experience. And then you go, oh, that's what people were writing about because the whole experience is beyond words and mystical experiences of all kinds. That is one of their qualities. It's called ineffable. That's what William James said, ineffable, that because it's experiential, you know, any description in words will be partial, will be incomplete, that you really don't get it until you have the experience. So anyway, Gopi Krishna, I met Gopi Krishna in India. I started I felt this strong call in my spirit and he urged me every time I spoke to him he said Yvonne do kundalini research now he never ever said anything to me that made me think he was talking to me any different from how he talked to anybody else and I think this is one of the attributes of great saints is that they they treat everybody the same there's this incredible um equality uh, and 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 you know loving equanimity but so I never it never dawned on me that him telling me to do kundalini research had anything to do with me <laughs> I thought he was just saying that to everybody and it also never dawned on me that he was perhaps suggesting that so that I would realize that I was already experiencing a kundalini awakening but as I read his books, so I read his books avidly. I felt a strong calling in my heart to research Kundalini, still not realizing I was experiencing it. And as I was reading all of his books, and so I had the opportunity, he was he became like a mentor to me. So I was able to have personal appointments and conversations with him whenever he traveled to North America, which he did a couple times after that. And uh, when he wasn't here, we were corresponding. This was back in days where you wrote letters. So we, we wrote letters by snail mail back and forth from India to Canada. And, um, 
And I had the opportunity to read manuscripts of all of his books, um, often before they were published. And um, so, so I was able to learn a tremendous amount about Kundalini from him. He died in 1984, I believe it was. And it was sometime after that, and this is the, the divine sense of humor, it wasn't until sometime after that, maybe about 88, you know, four years after he died, I realized, you know, all this stuff he's talking about in his book, I, I think I'm experiencing most of it. <laughs> I think I'm in a Kundalini awakening, which uh, I, I then realized and, uh, you know, it's like, duh, you know, I didn't, the, the penny, but it didn't. Uh, and I look at this as a cosmic sense of humor that, you know, here I am on the forefront of researching Kundalini, having all of these, you know, energy up my spine, chakra sensations, having past life memories unblock, uh, inspired creativity, uh, getting clairvoyant, clairsentient, clairaudient, all the stuff that's talked about in the yogic texts. But it just never dawned on me that this was what was happening to me. But finally, the penny dropped and it was, oh, OK, God, got it. <laughs> and I am doing exactly what Yogi uh, Gopi Krishna had recommended. I was researching it in the crucible of my own own consciousness, but I hadn't realized it. That's wow. my sad but true story. <laughs> well, it's it's fascinating. I, I like the way you describe it as cosmic humor. You know, just like our our connection, you know, just being down the road from each other didn't happen until the right time. Even the recognition of it being a kundalini awakening doesn't happen until the right time and it could take in your case years mm -hmm. even for me i had the full energetic explosion up my spine fortunately for me it was only two weeks but within those two weeks it was total confusion and wondering what i experienced but interestingly enough i knew about kundalini prior mm -hmm. i was listening to teachers talking about kundalini awakening as well and for some reason within those two weeks i couldn't you know, like you said, the penny didn't drop. I couldn't connect the dots. But when I did, somebody had said, hey, you know, Brent, what you're saying sounds like Kundalini. And then suddenly it, you know. Ding, ding, ding the lights you know? go off. Yeah. Yeah. And then it all made sense. But it, it was an interesting two-week period. I can imagine for you was, you know, those years must have been uh, interesting, especially being around Gopi Krishna on the other side of the world or, con or even corresponding with him on the other side of the world. Powerful stuff. Yeah, I recommend everybody to check out his work. He's, uh, like Yvonne, broken a lot of ground in Kundalini research. I think without Gopi Krishna, we probably wouldn't be uh, be talking here um, mm -hmm. at all. Um, Absolutely. Fantastic. So there's many points that you mentioned um, that we can sort of go down tangents on. But one, one thing that I think is interesting is you mentioned the wisdom of the Kundalini. Mm -hmm. And that when you saw Gopi Krishna appear on the screen or when somebody said something to you that was true you felt you know phenomena energetic phenomena i like to describe this energy as being intelligent yes as being some it's something that we can relate with it's not impersonal it's somewhat personal and wise can you speak to this because i think this is a missing piece that uh distinguishes this from being just a biological unfolding it's a spiritual unfolding that involves yeah. this spiritual wisdom can you can you talk about this for our audience yes absolutely well gopi krishna talked about it being a bi biological psychological and spiritual process on all three levels 
And my personal experience um, and um, my research over the years has confirms that absolutely. That, um, you know, when, when we read some of the um, yogic texts that talk a bit about Kundalini and about the, the transformation of consciousness, for me, Patanjali's Yoga Sutras was one of the yogic texts that I found very helpful because I, I could recognize the states of consciousness that were being described there because I was experiencing them as part of my spiritual awakening process. But sometimes people get the impression that it is only a spiritual process, right? That it's only spiritual and that there is not a psychological or a physical component to it. And um, Gopi Krishna was very emphatic. No, this is body, mind, and spirit. And, and um, definitely that is what my experience has been. So people will have a lot of physical sensations and experiences um, after a kundalini awakening. And they may not recognize that it's related to the spiritual process. Similarly, there is a lot of psychological house cleaning. That's the word that I that I use in my books that gets stirred up and opened up when the kundalini is activated. And that's because our inner psychological house, uh, that's the metaphor I like to use, when the light is shone in the house, you can see the, sh the cobwebs that are in the corners that you couldn't see before when the lights weren't on. And it's not that one is bad. It's that we're all imperfect. We're all works in progress. That's what I like to call it. We're all works in progress. So we've all got some little inner cobwebs somewhere, whether there be unresolved issues or wounds that need to be healed from this incarnation. But as we go deeper and further on our spiritual journey, we find, whoops, some of the cobwebs coming up are actually from past lives. And we get past life memories coming up. And that the work of, of healing, coming to a deeper understanding, um, finally um, letting go, forgiving yourself and others, releasing this to spirit, and then rising above. This is psychological work combined with spiritual work. And in my experience, this is the real nitty gritty hard work of the spiritual awakening process. It's not all angels and fairy dust, you know, in a mystical experience. That actually this inner psycho-spiritual house cleaning is the hard work of the process. And then at the same time, there's the whole spiritual dimension. So they're all interpenetrated and they're all happening at the same time and and that's what i love about the kundalini model of consciousness is that you can understand oh those funny pains i was getting in my body that was because on a psycho spiritual level i was hitting a little block or what we call a samskara or some karma from a past life and that actually is giving me a physical sensation go figure but it does because it's physical psychological and spiritual um and so now to get to your point which is the the higher wisdom behind it and um gopi krishna used to say kundalini shakti she knows her way home I love it. So she knows the, the wisdom of the spiritual 
energy which is awakened within you knows through the higher cosmic intelligence behind the universe which it is connected with what is needed for your next step of your evolution you may not like it you may not want it but, but it's what's being brought to your attention so so what i've learned along the way and what i advise people in a spiritual awakening process with a kundalini active is um not to fight what spirit is bringing up for your healing and growth but to uh, go with it you know just sort of relax and go with this like okay looks like we have to deal with this next and yeah, you know just do the best you can gently one step at a time rather than resisting it rather than fighting it rather than saying no I don't want to deal with this what's wrong with me why are these memories coming up well they're coming up for a reason or why are, sometimes it's not memory sometimes it's feeling sometimes it's not as clear as a memory it's like why am I feeling so angry you know must be somebody else's fault it's like okay let's step back a minute let's get into our spiritual self let's get into the observer and when we can get into our higher spiritual self into the observer that's at peace we can observe oh I'm stirred up no I have a lot of anger. The issue really isn't what out there provoked the anger. The issue is I'm stuck in anger <laughs> and I need to release myself from that, that angry place and get to my centered place of peace and calm. So um, I hope I answered your question, but oh, certainly, yes. it certainly is my experience that, that, that as we go on in our process, we learn that there is a loving intelligence that is guiding this process and then years later just like me with the trip to india i had no idea why i had to interrupt my internship to go to india but now i can look back and go you know there was a higher wisdom at work because that was a really important fundamental part of my training for both spiritually and in the world for what was going to be my career later on right now, well said, there's there's many layers of of meaning and wisdom in your response there. Um, you mentioned the psychological house cleaning. And I just want to read an excerpt from your book here, uh, which very much echoes the process that I did when going through the psychological house cleaning, this purification. Uh, so you wrote here, meditate and visualize your heart chakra. Focus on any pain or area of darkness you feel or see in this area. Then visualize light rising gently up from the base of your spine or pouring down on you from above and illuminating the darkness at your heart chakra. See the light flushing away at the dark areas, lifting the dark spots up, bringing them up to your conscious mind, and then flushing them away. Then focus on any images or memories that come to your mind. Some like to visualize the divine power as a liquid light that flushes the spots of darkness out through the front of the heart chakra. And that's taken from your book, Touched by the Light, Exploring Spiritually Transformative Experiences. And you've got many uh, uh, different tools and insights and techniques, like I just mentioned, to help uh, people going through that psychological house cleaning process, the emotional clearing, the the difficulty that can arise. And I, I, I'm sharing this excerpt just because it really uh, echoes almost exactly the process that I found 
in conjunction with, I, I sort of adapted different meditations that I found. And for me, it was the same idea. The heart center was where this was all happening. Really, everything was being brought into a light that was in the heart. I was feeling the light penetrating head to toe. And like you, I acknowledged what's coming up is coming up to be released. I'm not a victim. This is helping me. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, at least for me, the most profound shift was shifting out of victimhood. Mm-hmm. And that's, if if I can do anything for a person as you know somebody serving in this way, is just to help them to snap out of victimhood. Yeah. Um, did you have a period where this was happening to you and things were difficult, the purification process, especially during not knowing it was Kundalini awakening, where you felt like something was wrong with you, that you were sick, that you were dying? Did anything like that happen? Well, that's a that's a deep question. So uh, let me answer it in, in several phases. First off, the inner purification cleansing process, there, there's two stages to that. Let me start with that. So there's two stages. The first stage in, in traditional mystical literature, actually uh, Evelyn Underhill in her great book, Mysticism, talks about purification and purgation. And these are related, but slightly different things. I want to mention that because I think that's important purification in using her vocabulary is something that we do consciously like we are intentionally wanting to clear our energy system we intentionally want to go into recovery for example if we have addictions we intentionally want to take responsibility we intentionally want to apologize for something if we need to this is all purification you know that we're intentionally trying to live a moral and ethical life according to the spiritual laws that that's all purification this is all necessary but we're doing it of our own volition we we are choosing to do this we want to do this that that's what um i uh classically the word purification refers to there's this other interesting word which is called purgation people don't like that very much but boy does it happen after kundalini awakening and and i want to mention that that in other uh, spiritual traditions, they call this spiritual, um, Holy Spirit awakening, Holy Spirit quickening, Dumo activation, Dumo quickening, they might, Holy wind, they might have different words in the mystical literature, but they all talk about this purgation process that will start afterwards. And that is that, you know, what is to purge? It's like, to, you know, you take something to make you throw up. So it makes a, a poison or a toxin get out of your body as a doctor. If you has to get a poison out of somebody, we give them something to make them purge. Either comes out the front end or the bottom end. So it gets out of your system one way or the other. Um, but psycho-spiritual purgation starts happening after Kundalini awakening, which is you're not trying to do it the energy is doing it that all of a sudden it's bringing to your awareness issues within yourself that need to be dealt with so you're not trying to do this it's just happening now this is what can be very challenging i went through periods in my own uh, spiritual awakening process where um, i was having lots of past lives spontaneously surfacing memories of past lives and always related to um, challenges I happen to be having in the world right now with with people that I cared for or what people that I met or whatever and 
it's very, very difficult. It was for me, it was very, very difficult to um, um, integrate and hold in my own consciousness the past life, the multi-lifetime awareness. Sometimes I would have awareness of maybe 10 or more lifetimes that relate to something that is happening here. And I had nobody to speak to. Like there was no safe place to go <laughs> and to talk to somebody saying, guess what? You know, I'm having all these past life memories come up. And, um, and you know, when you have past life memories come up, they're related to a difficulty in the current life. Trust me, there are going to be difficulties in the past life, too, you know, so, so we're not remembering all sweetness and bliss and uh, in the past life, we're remembering past lives, where we perhaps had a similar problem, or, you know, that 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 gives a background story of why things are the way now. Um, that nobody was aware of, you know, how sometimes you'll just meet somebody and you'll just instantly click. Could be one of two things. Could be that you actually have a good connection from a past lifetime. And if that happens, excellent. But sometimes it's what I call sugarcoating on the karma. <laughs> you meet somebody, you seem to click, and then all of a sudden things go south really fast. And you wonder like, what was this all about? And then the for me, I'd start getting past life memories. And I realized that I had unresolved issues from past lives. And that that was why, you know, with the sugar coating on the karma, I was brought together, you know, oh, isn't this this nice person I just met? You know, it provided an opportunity for the two of us as souls to try and come to a better resolution this lifetime than had happened in previous lifetimes. However, let me put a caveat to that. What I have learned in um, doing my own psycho-spiritual house cleaning and also working with karma from past lives, etc., is that the only place we have control and can make a difference is within ourselves. We, we cannot alter the actions or choices or insights of the other person. And, and I think this is a mistake that many people go through, and perhaps I did early on in my, my spiritual journey, thinking that if I understood more, that, that both of us would be able to come to a better resolution. But I quickly learned that um, that wasn't happening. And so I had to reevaluate what I was doing with the past life information. And then I came to understand it was about changing me. It's not about changing the situation. It's not about changing the other person's reactions to me. It's about changing me. And uh, there's a great prayer that uh, uh, one of Paramahansa Yogananda's disciples, Sister Gyanamata, used to say, which was, change not my circumstances, change me. Mm. And And I found that when we remember to say that change me that we just rise to a higher spiritual level and realize oh my goodness it is about me it is it doesn't matter if that person has a thousand lifetimes of animosity or misunderstanding towards me it doesn't matter it's not my spiritual work to fix that it's my spiritual work to fix me right. <laughs> and 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 to 
to let go of anger, let go of pain, let go of resentment, move into a place of love and forgiveness and understanding and and realization that we've all made lots of mistakes over many incarnations you know that's part of learning it's part of growing up as souls and um you know have i never made a mistake in my life have i never hurt anyone's feeling of course i have not that i wanted to but you know maybe i was tired that day or grumpy or who knows what or there was a misunderstanding so as we increase our compassion and our spiritual understanding for me anyway the focus became more and more on changing me mm. and and rather than trying to resolve the situation that it was about changing me and getting me to a higher place but i have to tell you you asked me did i ever have challenges it's like wow did i ever have challenges it's like does the sun ever get up in the morning yes it does lots of times so there were many many challenges over the years but um as i got more experience at how to work with these issues as they came up with and how to process past life awarenesses and take the focus away from the other person this is what you said you know that i had to get out of that victim position i'm not a victim of them misunderstanding me i'm a person who gets has to get out of victimhood <laughs> i'm a person who has to start realizing it's my time to rise above that to get to a place of love and forgiveness and um radiate love to that person no matter what our particular um on an ego level issues might be now that doesn't mean being a door a doormat you know that sometimes we'll have to set a healthy boundary and say i love you bless you but you know our lives are clearly going in different directions <laughs> so um yeah and it's a continuous process the psycho spiritual house cleaning process does not stop what happens over the years i found in my own personal journey is we get better at it we just get better at it it's like oh okay this is well this is next oh oh dear guess we have to deal with this next so we better start dealing with it and i just hop to it and get to my prayer and meditation self-reflection journaling whatever it is i have to do venting if i need to i find vigorous physical exercise helps me vent if i have a lot of feelings to vent you know i i, I have the tools i know what to do um, so it becomes easier over the years uh, because you have the tools and you know what to do well said yeah the uh the other day i i put out a talk saying you know some people think that when we go through kundalini awakening or spiritual awakening that we'll be beyond doing any house cleaning doing any work any feelings of what we would call suffering and i said no we just learn how to surf the waves a little better like exactly, you said yeah. we have tools mm -hmm. that's the difference the mm -hmm. victimhood is is in victimhood may still arise but there's there's space around it um i remember going through I and mean, this can still happen to me but i would maybe have some interpersonal challenge come up maybe from past lives maybe from current life whatever it was but eventually I recognize that I can resolve it within my own self in meditation without having a conversation, without changing their behavior or my behavior, without changing circumstances, just going into meditation, processing it, coming out, there was a resolution. And then I realized it's got nothing to do with them because I didn't talk to them about it. This is all me. 
Exactly. And that's, that's exactly what I said. Change not my circumstances, change me. And Paramahansa Yogananda, he used to say this to his uh, his students, his disciples. They'd come with him. You wouldn't believe what happened. All the problems. He had a pat answer, they said, which was, put your consciousness here. Mm. Like, go meditate, put your consciousness here. Like, he didn't want to hear it. Put your consciousness here. And just like you, I've learned the same thing, that ultimately... You get to a point where you realize that's right. That when I get into that stillness in meditation, when I get into my true spiritual self, we've really resolved the issue. And then whatever practical, actual steps we have to take in the world, because we still have to function in the world, but we, we, we do them, but we do them from a place of equanimity and calm mm. and equipoise and kindness, uh, you know, rather than a place of emotionality. Right. I, I love that you said that speaking to the practical actions that we have to take. I always make an effort to acknowledge um, the potential for spiritual bypassing. Yes. Somebody that's in an abusive situation, meditating is not going to necessarily resolve everything you still have to take the practical steps of of course removing yourself from the situation as best as you can um can we and speak so, this go ahead and i was going to say and setting healthy boundaries right and you I mentioned mean, that as well mm -hmm, mm -hmm, yeah. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. very important just for our, our listeners out there that may be new to spirituality they may think that you know meditation or using spiritual ideas are the the catch-all answer to all of their troubles but we can't neglect the, the the practical components. So on that note about spiritual bypassing, um, earlier on, we'll go a little bit back in our conversation. You mentioned the physical after effects of spiritually transformative experiences, Kundalini awakening. Um, in your book, Touched by the Light, I think uh, in the beginning of the chapter, you mentioned that you know some people have this idea that because of spiritual awakening, they're beyond becoming sick <laughs> as well. Many people that go through Kundalini awakening, the phenomenon experience can look like certain illnesses and disorders. And you state very clearly, look, you can have both. You can be sick going through spiritual awakening. And so you must consult with a doctor. You must not spiritually bypass ailments or illnesses and just label it all as spiritual phenomena. You still got to take responsibility Um for your health overall. Can you speak to some of the the physical after effects and you, you know, share a message for our listeners out there that are going through difficult times? A lot of people are, have these, you know, quote unquote, mystery illnesses. Doctors can't figure it out. They had spiritually transformative experiences. And, you know, maybe there's tremors, there's, uh, you know, seemingly like neurological issues especially because you've been through this as well. You're also, you know, a physician. Do you have anything to share for them? Yes. Thank you, Brenton. And that's a really, really important point. Um, and I, I do say in um, my book, Touched by the Light, and my earlier books that I wrote about STEs too, that never assume that some sort of physical symptom is um, due to your spiritual awakening process that always make sure that you get checked out by a physician. Cause I I've seen this happen too, that people uh, 
think that, oh, well, you know, this must be a, a related to my awakening process. Well, hello, great saints and mystics that, that I'm aware of have died of brain tumors, pneumonia, cancer, you know, have diabetes, have high blood pressure, have, have all the sorts of um, physical uh, problems that um, everyone has. So, you know, we're in a physical body, there can be physical things happening. Now, I mentioned earlier that sometimes the spiritual energy or the pranic energy flows um, hitting psychological blocks where the prana is generating a physical pain. Um, some of the sensations with uh, the various chakras as they're opening the crown chakra that you might uh, some, or there's uh, some of the energy movement phenomena, as you mentioned, that vibrating, shaking, um, people finding their diaphragm fluttering. There can be sexual energy changes that people also wonder about times when the sexual energy is really decreased. And this is because the um, the sexual energy or ojas is needed inwardly. But then there are other times it's like the body's producing too much ojas that people are having a really high sex drive related to um, the kundalini of being active. And, and just to know that that can happen in the process is good to know. Um, you know, I also want to mention that it's very frequent um, after kundalini awakening that people notice they become much more sensitive their body becomes much more sensitive so this is actual physical sensitivities so it's not something you can wish away with your mind that you might become more sensitive to chemicals in the food for example and find that you know you need to go totally organic because your body uh, is reacting badly to chemicals in the food you might find you're developing new food allergies new food sensitivities um, some people will have um, specific food cravings when they're at a certain stage in their process some people tell me that um, I mean I went through stages where I was had a, a real need for protein. I needed to increase the amount of protein in my life, in my diet. But at the same time, I had a very strong aversion to all red meat, like, you know, oh, okay, no pork, no beef, nothing like that. Um, and um, people sometimes, if they're a vegetarian by their culture, by their choice, might be surprised after a Kundalini awakening that all of a sudden they're craving meat, you know, they're craving fish or they're, they're craving chicken. But this is because they're changing body, mind, spirit. The body part needs more protein. So this is all, you know, part of um, the awakening process. I also want to mention another um, after effect that is physical that may uh, puzzle some people, which is uh, what's called the electromagnetic sensitivity. And that it seems like um, something about your physical aura, your energy, your astral body changes um, after a kundalini awakening. And many people who've had a kundalini awakening and many people who've had near-death experiences have also had a kundalini awakening. So this is described in the near-death experience literature. But for me, it's a kundalini after effect, is that your own energy field seems to affect the electromagnetic uh, equipment around you so that when your energy is high, you might find yourself um, fritzing out your computer, your computer's freezing for no reason at all. You know, all of a sudden your internet's not working. Um, popping light bulbs is a popular one. <laughs> I used to pop light bulbs all the time. You know, when I walk past, I turn a light on, the bulb would pop. 
I thought I was buying poor quality light bulbs or something. And I finally realized, oh, it's me. I pop light bulbs. And um, other people find that um, coins that are in their pocket back when we used to have pay phones, they couldn't use those coins. So that would be vending machines, you know, coins, because somehow your, 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 your energy has affected the coins. So they're not working. Um, some people set off alarms at the airport <laughs> you know, because of their electromagnetic field. So if you know that that's okay, that's me. Like I set up off alarms at the airport a lot. It's just like, okay, that's me. Um, and then they, they give me the body search. You're fine. Move on. So I've just accepted that that's part of the process. But the other interesting thing is that people can become sensitive to external electromagnetic fields. So some people after a Kundalini awakening, they, they have great difficulty getting close to power lines. Or, you know, those big windmill things that they're putting up for air. Some people find, whoa, you know, the electromagnetic field, it actually causes them a physical discomfort or even laser pointers. That's something about the laser. So um, these are all physical phenomena that are related to Kundalini awakening that are not abnormal. But if someone has some new physical thing like pain in some part of their body, I do always recommend go see a doctor go get it checked out that even great saints and mystics have, have died of the same diseases that the rest of us are having because it's on a physical level and and similarly i'm just going to add it here is that we don't really understand from a multi-lifetime perspective the um karma associated with certain diseases like, for example, I had a head injury this lifetime. We didn't get to that yet. But uh, guess what? My last one, two lifetimes, I had serious injuries with serious issues with my head, you know. So uh, so I think there was some sort of, you know, past life thing working out with me uh, that that happened to be the part of my body that got injured was it was a traumatic brain injury. And we don't know that. And it's not that we're bad or we're not spiritual enough that we have physical problems. These laws are very, very complex. And I think the key is no matter what physical challenges life gives you, that you deal with it well, both on a physical plane. I mean, caring for your body, physical medicines, whatever supports you, um, but on a spiritual and psychological level, um, neither getting into a victim or, or spiritual bypass, ignoring it, but saying, okay, Lord, change, not my circumstance, change me. When I had my head injury, I did everything I could to try and get better. All sorts of cleanses. I changed my diet. I detoxed my house. I took out my mercury fillings. I did everything to try and heal, but I didn't get better until it was the divine time for me to get better. And then suddenly, 12 years after my brain injury, when I had accepted that, well, for whatever reason, I'm going to be disabled for the rest of my life. That's God's plan. Okay, then I will serve by my prayers and meditation. So I focused on prayer and meditation and praying for others because I felt that was the only way I could serve. And then whoop, you never know when God's going to surprise you and there's going to be a sudden change. I was healed and I'm back in the world. Here I am. <laughs> talking speaking leading spiritual ways international writing books fantastic well you've teased us a little bit so why don't we just 
share a little bit about your NDEs. So maybe we can work in reverse since you you just mentioned the uh, the brain injury NDE. Can you tell us a little bit about that experience? Sure. Well, as you mentioned, I've had, I now realize five near-death experiences in my life. Again, like the Kundalini awakening, which I didn't realize was a Kundalini awakening for many years. Um, my first three near-death experiences, I didn't even know they were near-death experiences for many years. It takes a long time to get it, uh, uh, integrate and get a name for these um, experiences. So that's part of the reason why I, I'm writing my books and talking on podcasts like yours, because I think it's extremely helpful for people just to get a name to call their experience. And then, oh, okay, now I can look it up. Now I can Google it. Now I can I can put myself in, into a group of experiencers that have had this experience. But anyway, my most recent near-death experience happened in 2003, November the 8th, 2003. Um, and that happened in Niagara Falls, Ontario. And I, I had a slip and fall accident where I slipped on some black ice. I fell back and hit my head real hard. Nothing broke my fall on the cobblestone rock pavement. And I had a um, very serious traumatic brain injury with a brain hemorrhage. And I instantly died. I instantly died. Now, I'm going to stop for a minute because the experience actually started two hours before I died which is interesting because one of the things those of us who've been on the other side several times, and I'll get to that a little later, but we realize on the other side, time doesn't pass the same way as it does here. Like past, present, and future all seem to coexist. So sometimes we experience things here on the earth plane before an event. <laughs> mm -hmm. and, and I did that night that, that it actually started two hours before I fell. And um, so you, you've experienced this, other people experienced this. So that's why I wanted to make sure I said that, that actually it started two hours before. And two hours before I fell, I had been meditating at the foot of the falls. They have like these tunnels and a platform down there. And I love to go down there and meditate because the roar of Niagara Falls, to me, it, it's, it sounds like the, the inner ohm vibration that I hear sometimes when I meditate. And so I find when I meditate there, just immersed in that vibration and that sound that I can go really deep, really fast in my meditation. So I was standing at the base of the falls on the little platform two hours before I, I had my head injury and I was meditating and I went real deep, real fast. And I entered this incredible, beautiful state of communion and um, I was home. <laughs> I was home. And um, this was eyes open, wide awake. I was in a state of unitive consciousness. And um, I, I saw a, a being of light, one of the saints from my particular spiritual tradition, it was uh, Mahavatar Babaji, appeared to me in his light body and telepathically communicated to me, welcome home. And um, this is as we talked about earlier, the goal that we are all striving for in our awakening and meditation process is to be in that unitive spiritual state of consciousness or what's called uh, samadhi, um, eyes open 24-7. So this is called nirbhikalpa samadhi when it's eyes open and able to function the world while you're in this communion. 
and I remained in that blessed state um, until I fell two hours later. And I remember I had a friend uh, with me at the falls that day. We went and ate dinner overlooking the falls. And I just said to this friend, I said, I don't know how long this is going to last. But now that I know that I have found my way home once, I know I'm going to be able to find my way home again. And so I felt this this great peace, you know, that it is possible. We can do it. <laughs> you know, it's not just great saints that this happens to. And so I felt great joy. And then, you know, two hours after this started, this state of communion is when I slipped, fell, and died. And instantly, I felt my soul um, whisked out of my body by a force greater than myself. And it was, I was rushed out of my body and I was rushed upwards through a, a dark expanse of space. Some people call it a tunnel. Um, to me, it was like a dark expanse of space and it rapidly moving away from the physical world to this, it was like an opening, like a portal that was radiating light that was open. So I was rapidly being whisked up there and waiting at the doorway at the entranceway of this um, portal to the realm of light, shall we call it that, uh, were two beings of light. And one of them was Mahavatar Babaji, who I'd seen before, and the other was Paramahansa Yogananda. Uh, both of whom I revere as gurus. And um, they telepathically communicated with me. Um, it was without words. It was like a knowing was telepathically communicated to me that I had that I had died, that my physical body had died, that my work in the form of Dr. Yvonne Kason was completed. And the feeling was of great joy and of great celebration. It, it felt like there was being a graduation party <laughs> celebrated for me in the light. It didn't mean that, you know? And, and there were other beings of light there in the light, but I didn't identify forms or who they were, just a feeling of, of, of many, many souls who loved me and the higher power that loved me and um, the sense of celebration and joy. So I guess my, my, a little part of my ego mind was still alive because it was like the little devil on your shoulder. You know how they depict the devil on your shoulder? It's like the little voice on my shoulder. All of a sudden this thought comes up. Uh-oh, here comes the life review. Because <laughs> I'd learned a lot about near-death experiences and researched it for many years. And so I had learned that most people get a life review if they actually completely die and they see, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly of everything they did in their life. And I mean, I've tried to live a good life. I mean, everyone tries to live a good life, but I haven't been perfect. So there was this little part of me that was, uh-oh, here comes the life review. And it was so incredibly beautiful, Brent. Oh, because the two saints, the two beings of, of light, they could read my thoughts. Like they they knew what that this thought had come up. And one of them glanced at me and that with that glance, there was this transmission of, and, and they blew off that little devil on my shoulder, that thought, just like blowing a fleck of dust. Like it was just, it was instantly gone. And, and with that glance, I also had this very deep and profound and beautiful understanding, 
that I, I just, I understood now, they transmitted it to me, that just as a loving parent looks at their young child who's learning to walk, and we see, okay, he stumbles, he or she stumbles, falls, skins their knees, bumps their head, maybe breaks something in the process of learning to walk, that the loving parent doesn't punish the child. Rather, the loving parent embraces the child and says, that's okay, honey, you can do better next time and encourages the, the, the child to keep going. And that that was the kind of love, unconditional, embracing, exquisitely gentle love that I was being welcomed with on the other side. All that stuff didn't matter. It just didn't matter. I was completely 100% loved, completely as I am at whatever stage I'm my soul was at in my particular learning journey. And then I I shifted into sort of another, I, I call it state of consciousness, because it's very difficult to have a vocabulary that accurately describes what is ex what I experienced on the other side. But I, I seemed to move into a, a state where it was not so much that I was seeing things, like in the realm of light, I was seeing the light and the beings of light, the two saints. But it was, it was more like my pure consciousness, that my consciousness had somehow vastly expanded in its capacity. And um, it was like I'd been changed from a little tiny computer into a mega computer in terms of my consciousness. And uh, my consciousness was capable of taking in vast amounts of information all at once, like a super, super mega, mega download, <laughs> just uh, immense capacity in consciousness. And I instantly re-remembered and that's what it felt like that I had remembered it before and now I re-remembered all of my past lives and what that experience was like was like uh, an aha experience it's like suddenly my life I just had as Dr. Yvonne Quezon made sense <laughs> in the context of all of my past lives I felt like the glimpses I've had of past lives before were like having pieces of a jigsaw puzzle. So you have a partial picture, but now suddenly all the pieces were together and I had the total picture and it all made complete sense. And I saw how this incarnation as Dr. Yvonne Quezon was a complete fit. <laughs> and it's like, I finally fit in my shoes, you know, it's like, oh, this is who I am, of course. Because, you know, I'd, I had previously thought it was a bit, you know, odd or unusual that here I was this little doctor in Toronto and here I'm having a kundalini awakening all these near-death experiences clairvoyance clairaudience clairsentience you know past life recall all this stuff a bit weird <laughs> a bit out of the usual and um but when I saw in the context of all of my past lives it was oh it was a complete fit mm. Because as I mentioned before, this was not my first life with a kundalini awakening. This was not my first life with near-death experiences. This was not, this was not even my first life talking and teaching about it. You know, it's like on a soul level, 
my soul was continuing on from its journey in previous incarnations. And it's like, I finally knew who I was. And while I was in this realm or state, it's hard to have a, a word to put to it of pure consciousness. I was also extremely aware somehow and completely understood how time does not pass the same on the other side as it does here. That, that, that it was somehow very clear to me how on the other side, what we here on earth perceive as the past or what we here on earth perceive as the present or what we here on earth perceive as the future are all perceptible on the other side. And it's only a matter of where I would put my focus and my attention, whether I would be perceiving what we here perceive as the past or the present or the future. And, and, and the, the analogy I've used to try and explain this is like, we are very familiar with multiplex movie theaters. You know, we have them all over now. And you know, you can go into a multiplex movie theater and maybe there's 10 or 20 theaters there. And what if they're each playing a movie that has the same one actor in it, but they're different movies. Okay. Different movies. So if you don't understand the concept of the multiplex, you think, how is this possible that the same one actor is, you know, is a fighting in World War II here and is a, a Greek uh, widow here and is, you know, a native Indian here and is a Buddhist monk here and that, that, that doesn't make sense how they can be this at the same time. But we understand, oh, they're all playing in the cineplex at the same time, but they actually acted them out at different times. So we understand that. So that's a little bit how it was on the other side, is that I got it that people on earth perceive this as different and, and are experiencing it linearly. But from the other side, we can see it all at the same time. And not only that, but time can loop. And, and that makes sense with how I started having the experience before I actually died. And in my plane crash near death experience, well, guess what? My NDE actually started before the plane crashed. And so, so um, that on the other side, time can loop. And I think time actually looped when I came back to my body after that NDE. Because after a period of what felt like a really long time, but I call it timeless time, because time is just experienced so differently on the other side, the two beings of light reappeared to me and telepathically communicated to me that I may now choose to incarnate in the body of a baby to further serve the divine and or to return to the maimed body to further serve there. And interestingly, I don't use the word maimed in my vocabulary. When I came back, I had to look it up in the dictionary, but it means like injured or with a disability, but I sort of got what it meant. But it's interesting that a word was being used that I actually don't know. Um, so, so what happened when I was being given this choice and interestingly, I was given the choice of and or, it was not an or, it was an and or, it was very clearly an and or. Um, what happened was I was in such an expansive state of consciousness, just heart and soul completely open, completely 
um, safe in that state of communion, of knowing the wisdom and the love of the divine plan behind the universe. I was in a complete state of surrender and trust. And um, my soul immediately, it seemed to come out of my heart, not out of my head, immediately responded, oh, masters, please guide me. What is the higher choice? I want to do God's will. And in an exquisitely loving manner and how love can be so strong in a thought it's indescribable but yes it was a thought but exquisitely loving and gentle the thought came back to me was communicated to me telepathically it will be more difficult but to go back to the maimed form and i was not shown any details there it, it, my ego mind was taking a siesta i was just pure spirit i had there was no questioning there was no doubting there was no asking for details just immediately my heart just said i accept and boom it was so fast it was between the thought i and accept that <gasps> with a gasp of air I found myself lying on the ground in Niagara Falls in the previously dead body, breathing some life into it. And it felt like waking up in an ice cube because I guess my body temperature had dropped as outdoors. It was below zero. And um, uh, I started breathing life back into my body. And for the first few minutes that I was starting to um, regain uh, consciousness there in my physical body, I could see both realms. I could see both realms superimposed. It's like a double image superimposed on each other. I could see the physical world all around me, but I could also see the white, white realm superimposed on it and the two beings of light. It's like they literally ushered me back into my body and were there as I was waking up. And then after a few moments or minutes, I was not yet into worldly time. So I really don't know how long it was. But the, the, the white light realm started fading slowly, slowly from view until it became just like a spot in my consciousness. And it, it has stayed there as a spot, which has been a life ring for me through the incredible worldly challenges that I had to deal with because I came back to a body with a serious disability. I was disabled with a traumatic brain injury. Um, I was no longer able to practice medicine. Uh, my life as I knew it before had just been wiped clean um, by this traumatic brain injury. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. There's just, it's just an incredible experience with so many layers. And even in your telling of it, there's a lot of wisdom you shared about the way that time works on the other side, our past lives, as well as our connection with certain, what we may call ascended masters, gurus, guides. A lot to unpack there, um, but in the interest of time, I'll invite those once again to check out your book, uh, Soul Lessons from the Light, to get a, a more in-depth picture of your multiple NDEs. So all of your, your five NDEs have all been very different, and uh, they've afforded you the ability to discern between the different kinds of NDEs. Um, you've had some where you've sort of 
watch your you had a plane crash in the, the winter in a cold lake you wa- you watched your body swimming to shore that's a different type of nde um so, so much to unpack there but in general here can you briefly connect ndes and kundalini awakening i know that there are many people out there that have had both mm-hmm. maybe have yet to realize the significance of the two but there is clearly a connection it seems to be that a connection that you've sort of found um that hasn't been discussed very much so can you talk about the connection yes that's an a fascinating point so um let me just step back a little bit to to help answer your question is that um gopi krishna who i had mentioned earlier he did think there was a relationship between kundalini awakening and near-death experiences and um he told me about it and i think he wrote about it in some of his books and um he he uh felt that in some circumstances not necessarily all but in some circumstances the kundalini might awaken during a near-death experience and he hypothesized that it might awaken to try and conserve and protect the brain. For example, in my 2003 near-death experience, I don't know, did my kundalini awaken? Was it keeping my brain viable so that when my soul came back in, you know, I wasn't um, a vegetable. I had certain physical injuries, but otherwise, I mean, my intelligence is all there. My long-term memory is all there. Um, Possible. Um, He thought um, that, in ancient Egypt, there is a, 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 you know, in Egypt, if you look at the Pharaoh's headdress, there's always a little serpent, often the little serpent coming out of the third eye region. And he said that, you know, this has been in, in history, this has been a symbol for a Kundalini as a serpent, particularly the serpent through the third eye or the serpent coming up above the crown. These are all symbols for an awakened Kundalini. And he thought the reason putting this in, looking at some of the ancient Egyptian rituals for a pharaoh, one of them was that before they became pharaoh, they would put the um, the candidate, shall we call it, would be locked in a tomb for a period of time. And um, then they would be, if they lived, when they took them out, I don't know how many days later, two or three days later, they would be have deemed to have passed their test to become pharaoh. And he thought that this was to try and stimulate a kundalini awakening. And that if the person survived, the kundalini must have awakened to conserve the brain. Otherwise, they would have asphyxiated. And then they got the headdress with the serpent in it. This is our pharaoh with an awakened kundalini. I mean, that's all speculation, but it's very fascinating when you put the pieces together. Mm -hmm. In terms of my own personal experience as i said to you i had my kundalini meditation experience when i was 23 and um my first adult near-death experience in the plane crash that was up by uh close to kenora uh in uh, the plane crash there um after that near-death experience I had a marked increase in my kundalini experience my kundalini symptoms more rushes of energy up my spine, more sensations of my chakras, more sensations of the energy vibrating in my consciousness, and more opening of my consciousness, like more clear, I got my first clairvoyant experience, I became very clear sentient, and the past lives that even opened up after that. So, so the, the, uh, the near death experience for me personally, seemed to 
accelerate, you know, put me in the whole next level with my, my Kundalini transformation. So other researchers have looked at this, you know, how, how are people who've had um, a near-death experience having symptoms of Kundalini awakening afterwards? And Yes, they are. A large percentage are. So I'm, I'm a past president also of the International Association for Near-Death Studies. And two of the founders there, Dr. Ken Ring and Dr. Bruce Grayson, have both researched this specific point. You know, how, do NDEers have a greater proportion of uh, kundalini symptoms than the, than the average population? They do. <laughs> And so, and now that I'm talking about this, I actually have um, a couple of YouTube videos. People can look it up where I talk about Kundalini awakening and near-death experiences um, that many, many people who've had near-death experiences have reported to me. Yes, I definitely had a Kundalini awakening with my near-death experience. So there's definitely, in my opinion, there's definitely a connection. Mm -hmm. Fascinating. Thank you. Yes, uh, in the series, I've interviewed a gentleman, Christian Kantz. He had a near-death experience. I think he fell in the bath, banged his head, similar to you, went on to have very profound kundalini awakening, mm -hmm. as well as Angela, another individual that I uh, interviewed. She also had an NDE, maybe more than one, but as well, very, very uh, powerful mm -hmm. kundalini awakening phenomena. Um, in my life, I don't want to claim I've had an NDE, but as a young child, as a baby, my parents said that I almost died multiple times from fevers. I don't remember, so I don't want to claim that uh, I've had an NDE. But mm -hmm. looking back, I'm thinking maybe, and maybe that did contribute to some of the things that I've experienced related to Kundalini. But nonetheless, there seems to be a connection. The other day I was talking to uh, somebody who hadn't made the connection. They didn't. They thought mm -hmm. there were two separate events. Mm-hmm. And then I told them, hey, look, look up uh, Dr. Yvonne Kaysan's work. She's saying that there might be a correlation and there might be something for you to, uh, you know, a, a new layer in your own story that you can kind of extract and make sense of. So thanks so much for your work on those fronts. I mean, thanks so much for uh, dying and coming back so many times for us <laughs> with, uh, with your wisdom and insights. Um, so we've got, we've got a little bit more time here. I'm going to hit you with some, uh, some rapid fire questions if you don't mind. Okay. Um, so I haven't, I haven't gone public with this yet, but I'm actually, uh, with you, I've, I've mentioned it, but I'm actually a grad student studying to uh, become a psychotherapist. And my intention is to support people going through spiritual awakening, um, within that context. Uh, thanks for the thumbs up. It, it's an exciting journey so far. I'm about halfway through, but so I look to you with with uh, great admiration and as an inspiration, and of course you served as a psychotherapist, uh, mm -hmm. supporting and counseling people going through SDEs. What can you say to the the new wave of counselors? Um, maybe we'll begin with those that are, of course, familiar with spiritual awakening. What can you? What advice have you got for them? And then for those who aren't having their own experiences, how can they best support uh, you know their clients and their community? Um, that are having these profound life-changing experiences. Okay, thank you for that question. And um, yes, before my head injury, that was one of the things that I was doing was um, 
uh, helping to educate healthcare professionals about spiritually transformative experiences. And actually, I was a mentor in the MD Psychotherapy Association. So I was mentoring um, uh, doctors and people training to be psychotherapists to um, counsel people with um, STEs. I'm still willing to mentor, uh, just so you know, Brent. Um, Thank you. Uh, so this book, Touched by the Light, I would say that would be the first step, I would say, um, is to read my book and become familiar with the whole range of spiritually transformative experiences to understand um, the physical, the psychological and the spiritual aspects of it. Um, I think that's the first thing I would say to somebody who wants to work with with patients in this area, with clients, patients, whatever word that you use, is that you yourself get educated so that you can be a um, a resource and also um, help them in a supportive manner with the various um, stages they have to go through, uh, the person, the new experiencer. So that would be number one. Um, I would say number two, my second big point to um, counselors and therapists is um, listen, the word listen, <laughs> to listen to experiencers stories in a supportive and non-judgmental way. And um, uh, much of what I did when I was counseling experiencers for almost 40 years and what I still do today, although I'm not doing it professionally, but more as a supportive friend, is I listen to people's stories. And it's so important for experiencers to feel that there's somewhere they can say what they're experiencing without being judged in, in any manner that they, so listen, 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 you know, that would be my supporting experiencers slide number one, listen, listen, listen. <laughs> and let them tell their story and sometimes people have not found anyone for many years that would listen to their story in a supportive manner and so it's very important the second step that I think is very important in supporting somebody who's experiencing um, some type of STEs is to help them label their experience, uh, put a name to their experience that is a positive, not pathological name. <laughs> They've probably been told it's a hallucination, it's your imagination, it's a work of the devil or something like that. And, and, and so an important part of the support giver is to give a positive name. And, um, and it might be just something as simple as, I think this was a spiritual experience, even if you don't know the subtype, you know, that this was some type of spiritual experience, or this was some type of spiritually transformative experience. Um, and maybe you will recognize what type it is. Maybe you'll be able to say, wow, you know, it sounds to me like it might have been a Kundalini awakening, or hmm, maybe sounds to me like it might have been a near-death experience, or Perhaps that was a past life recall that happens to many people. Just putting names that are accurate and supportive and descriptive. And in this day and age, that person will go home and Google it, or maybe they'll do it in the waiting room. <laughs> They're going to look it up. So, so, so giving somebody a, a positive and accurate name 
for their experience is, is, is I found very, very, very important. And then the next step is um, the education step is that um, I would actually encourage people to Google it, <laughs> to look it up, you know, to read some books, to listen to some podcasts, to go on YouTube, uh, to try and learn more about it. Because um, we want people to feel empowered in the spiritual process, self-empowered, you know, like you said, out of victimhood, that, that, um, that they work with the process rather than feel a victim of the process. And once they understand it and realize that actually it's a gift, it's a gift from spirit to be in the spiritual awakening process, even if it feels a little challenging right now or very challenging or even when we're in spiritual emergency, which is sort of the crisis that people can get into, um, if they're having a very powerful awakening, or perhaps if they have some genetic predispositions or you know issues that are causing major blocks. But um, then we get into the, the, the work. The next step is the actual work of the spiritual awakening process. And um, this was the long-term work that I did with clients. But those first three few, few things, I think, is the very important beginning step. And that um, for many people, that's all that they want. They want to be heard. They want to get an accurate name for their experience because, oh, it's a Kundalini awakening. Now I know what to call it. And then when I would encourage them and I would actually help point them to where they could learn more, like one would be my book <laughs> or if they're not a heavy reader, my biography, soul lessons from the light. Um, you know, some of the videos, some of the groups like spiritual awakenings international, the group that I founded and am president of, um, we have events, we have sharing circles. People might find helpful and supportive there's also Toronto Awakening sharing groups for people in the Toronto area. We also have events, um, you know, that to, to get people connected with resources and supports. Um, and I, I would say for nine out of 10 of the people that, that came to see me, that, that, that was it, you know, that, that was it. They could, they could fly and then they'd come back if they, um, if they needed more. Then, then there's the other, remaining 10% who want help while psychological, spiritual help while they're going through the psycho-spiritual house cleaning process. Mm -hmm. And so then you use, um, uh, you know, whatever psychological techniques you have learned in your training for psychotherapy, but integrating the spiritual, because you can't forget the spiritual. This is a psycho-spiritual awakening process. So combined psycho-spiritual psychotherapy you know, to help people long-term. And so I had many clients that were, you know, 10 or 12 years, they were my clients and I was helping them with their psycho-spiritual work. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Thank you so much for that uh, really, really insightful wisdom and tips. Simple, but so powerful. Feeling validated is huge, right? Um, just having a word for what you're going through can make all the difference. Yeah. Knowing that it's a documented experience um, for many people that I encounter as well, just knowing that this is not, they're not the first or the last person to ever go through this mm -hmm. changes everything. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. So on that note here um, as well, you know, when we're 
considering therapy and counseling, a lot of um, consideration is put on relationships, the person's overall life and their relationships. Another very common issue that many people might have is, you know, they go through spiritually transformative experiences, Kundalini awakening, near death experiences, and either they're changing and or their partner or close friends or family refuses to acknowledge the significance of their experience. And this can be very troubling. It can, you know, put a lot of um, tension in relationships. Do you have any advice for those, um, you know, struggling with not being validated in their, in their relationships? Yeah, this is a common problem, unfortunately, but you know, this happens with anybody in any relationship. If one person changes for whatever reason, even changing jobs, you know, um, that uh, it changes the dynamics in the relationship and can lead to relationship issues. But um, talking about if one person is a spiritual awakening process and um, they're whoever it is, their friend, their loved one, their family members, whatever is not and that this is creating some tensions um i i my suggestion would be to um gently perhaps um encourage the loved one to get a little educated about spiritually transformative experiences there's a few ways you could do that you could give them one of my books as a christmas present or a birthday present or something like that and say gee you know Maybe reading this would help you understand what I'm going through. And if they love you, maybe they'll read it just to be supportive. And, and maybe it will help them relate to what you're going through. So um, other you know, people might want to read this, the, the big book on STE. So you know what your loved one will enjoy. But, but many people have told me that um, having their uh, loved one read one of my books or another book, you know, say another book on near-death experiences, if you have to be a near-death experiencer, it doesn't have to be my book, but, you know, I'm just saying a book that is educational so that they'll get an understanding is, will often be helpful. Now, if your loved one's not a reader, we also have YouTube videos. <laughs> so that would be another thing is to, um, you know, encourage them and maybe sit with them to watch a YouTube video that that you think would be helpful to them. Um, you know, the the org I mentioned the two organizations, Spiritual Awakenings International and Toronto Awakening Sharing Group that I um I I I'm lead. And we have events, so online events. So again, um having one of your having your loved one. Uh, watch one of the online events with you. We have featured speakers once a month uh, at Spiritual Awakenings International. We just had an online conference. And one of my, um, uh, somebody told me that she invited her family, her parents, her mother and her father to um, watch some of the conference speakers with, with, with her. So they sat in the living room, had the big screen TV on and had the, uh, the, uh, some of the conference speakers on. And that she found this was really healing that her parents came to a deeper understanding of what she was going through when they were watching, um, you know, some events from the conference. So basically that's education, uh, you know, trying to educate or inform the loved one in a way that is 
they would be open to, that they would be acceptable to, that that'll help. The, the other pointer I'd say about relationships is um, that old saying we had at the beginning, change not my circumstance, change me, <laughs> is that maybe we have to bring the focus back on ourselves and like, okay, you know, my significant other or family member, or whatever, really just isn't open to this. So I'm the one that has to change my attitude and um, be loving and accepting. Um, and that is the way it is. And that does not mean that the relationship has to end or be severed or anything like that. If we can get to a place of love, um, even though we don't understand, I look at it this way, you know, you can, in our country, at least I can be friends with someone who has different political views from me. You know, it's just, we agree to disagree. We have a different understanding, but that doesn't mean that I love that person any less or that we can't be friends. And um, so if I wish more of the world could be that way, <laughs> but we can strive for that too, that if we're going through an awakening process and our loved ones don't get it, and trust me, my family didn't get it. <laughs> none of it, none of it. And I used to laugh, my mother, uh, and her, she's passed away now, bless her sweet soul, but she was watching some TV show one day and, and she says, she called me afterwards, oh, Yvonne. There was this woman on the TV show talking about near-death experiences, and she has a sweater just like one of yours. And then she says, I was halfway through the show and then until I realized it was you. I went, oh, mom. <laughs> but she had just never in her own mind that I was a person who went on TV shows, right? I was her daughter, right? I'm the one who helped cook Christmas dinners. <laughs> and so family members are like that. And so... I think if we can expand in our love and our patience and again, try to not get in a place of victimhood, if our family, that's their reality. They don't, they don't get it. And much of the world doesn't get it. And we have to expand in our love and our compassion and our kindness, regardless of whether people understand what we're going through or not. And heavens, we're having trouble understanding it. So. <laughs> We have to have compassion that they don't get it either. <laughs> yeah, that's that's really uh, invaluable advice. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, that this is um, a major challenge. But then I I remind people. I say, hey, you know, before this happened to you, you probably wouldn't have believed anybody if they told you it happened to them either. So think back to those times when you were a little bit uh, skeptical, and have a bit of empathy for those who are skeptical about you because this is far out stuff. Mm -hmm. It's really far out stuff. And that's why you know, I'm doing this work just to bring people together like yourself, just to be another outlet that's validating and saying, hey, yeah, by the way, you know, you're not alone. You're not crazy. People in your life may think that way, but with the internet, we can gather and people all around the world can come together and 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 relate. So I'm going to hit you with one more question and then we'll uh, give you a chance to... Uh, you know, share where people can connect with you and get involved with some of the things that uh, you're involved with. Bit of a, a fun question here. Are we going through an ascension? What's your take on that? Yes. <laughs> That's the short answer to the question is yes. I believe that um, 
according to the yogic viewpoints the we as a species go through these long 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 ages they're called yugas and that we're at the beginning of we were the kali yuga was the darkest the darkest times um least enlightened and that we're now on the early stages of the dwarpa yuga on an upward cycle and um and I believe that to be true from my observations, too. Uh, and uh, Gopi Krishna talked about this. Paramahansa Yogananda talked about this. Sri Yukteswar, many adepts talk about this. Um, that we as a species are evolving. And this is the time of spiritual awakening. And I think that people like you and me and the others that are listening to your podcast, you know, someone has to be on the crest of the wave. you know, someone has to be the first bunch out and um, foraging the path, you know, blazing the path. And, um, but more and more people, it's happening to more and more people. I believe we, we, it's impossible really to get statistics on this, but I believe that there are more people now having spiritual awakenings. I think Part of it is the evolution of our species. It's time now um, by the divine wisdom. Uh, and I also think that uh, modern technology is also playing a part in this acceleration and on many levels. And on one level, for example, our medical technology that we're able to resuscitate people, we're able to revive people, we're up to bring people back who would otherwise have been dead. And so all these people having near-death experiences when even a hundred years ago, we didn't have the technology to bring people back. Um, and but now we do. And so I think that's, that's one um, way that we're accelerating this um, uh, spiritual awakening is all these people having near-death experiences because technology was able to bring them back another thing is meditation has become a worldwide phenomenon like when i started meditating in high school i'm uh, not high school in um, university and medical school it was pretty weird and very few people even knew what meditation was and it was sort of way out there that <laughs> I was meditating whereas now everybody knows what meditation is and you can go on YouTube and you can learn 20 different methods of meditation and you can just do it at home you, you know you don't have to go to some special teacher or anything and that meditation according to my research and according to the yogic tradition is probably the strongest stimulant for a spontaneous kundalini awakening or other form of spiritual awakening and with more and more people practicing meditation and that knowledge being so widespread i think that that's another factor that is contributing to um, the awakening but i think the biggest factor is it's time you know by the divine cosmic plan behind the universe it's time for more and more of us to wake up and it's happening incredible <laughs> Yes, these are very, very exciting times. This is the time of awakening. I, I agree with everything you said, and I actually had not considered uh, the, the advances in technology in terms of uh, being able to resuscitate people, but that is definitely um, you know, another factor to consider, especially you know uh, after our discussion today about how significant NDEs are, especially in their relationship with uh, Kundalini awakening and whatnot. Fascinating stuff. Well, Yvonne, uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, let us know where we can connect with you. I know you 
like like in the beginning, I shared so many different things that you're involved with. Um, you have a website here, drivoncason.com. Mm -hmm. Yep. You can access me a lot of ways. My personal website where you can see all my books, that is drivoncason.com. That's D-R-Y-V-O-N-N-E-K-A-S-O-N.com. My uh, where you can learn about STEs is at my Spiritual Awakenings International website, and that's spiritualawakeningsinternational.org. We also have a cute shorter URL, which is spiritualconference.org, because we have a great spiritual conference each year. So spiritualconference.org. And I've got lots of information there about STEs, about our upcoming event. And you can email me through it. Contact me through there. And uh, for those of you who are interested, there's also Toronto Awakenings Sharing Group. And that URL is torontoawakenings.org, torontoawakenings.org. And you can also contact me through that. Great, great. And of course, I've got many books out. Um, what was the number? Six different books. So I've made my way through two. I've thoroughly enjoyed them. Touched by the Light, Soul Lessons from the Light, Fantastic. I look forward to diving into your others as well. Um, it, it just my favorite in particular, though I did really enjoy your your storytelling and your autobiography. Touched by the light really spoke to me, especially at you know where I'm at in my journey in my life. Um, you know, the way you've broken down the uh the different uh experiences, symptoms, causes, um, the case studies as well. You know, there's so much to relate with and extract really, really fantastic work. I encourage everybody to check, check those books out. And as well, you've got uh, some, some other talks on YouTube as well that are really informative. Um, and so oh, I am so, so appreciative of you. And like I said, you know, coming back from the dead over and over again with wisdom, the courage to, uh, you know, hold hold space for those that are going through kundalini awakening spiritual awakening and ndes um being an example for those in the medical field as well to come forth and to say hey yeah you know me too some of this stuff has happened to me as well because it's a scary thing to do especially in uh you know this climate um but like we uh just spoke about the sentence is happening uh more people need to come forth and you are uh, a great example of 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 you know what happens when you do come forth great things happen people are helped people are supported and i'm so appreciative of our conversation today thank you so much so all the links to connect with dr yvonne uh will be in the description i'll have uh some links to uh your websites uh maybe if your email is out there i'll put the email out there everything will be in the description you can check it out i encourage you to uh connect with uh some of the conferences and webinars and meetings and we'll all be in touch Thank, Thank you so you. much. Thank, Thank you. you. And I forgot to mention my YouTube channel. I'm so glad that you mentioned that. So there's a Spiritual Awakenings International YouTube channel is where you'll find um, a, a lot of my current videos and also some other great speakers on uh, all types of spiritually transformative experiences. So Spiritual Awakenings International YouTube channel. Thank you, Brett. Great. Oh, you're <laughs> so welcome. It'll be in the description. If there's anything we missed, uh, you can find it all in the description. Well, Yvonne, thank you so much. I look forward to connecting some more in the future. I, I feel like there's so much value. We covered so much today, so much ground. I'm going to have to go on a little walk just to let some of it sink in. I appreciate <laughs> it. Thank awesome. you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right. Take care now. Bye now.